You're listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. I want to talk to you for a minute about my buddy Sam Morris and his leather work. He made me a cool leather journal cover. I use a Loistrom uh, 1917 journal for most of my journaling and my time management, productivity issues, all that kind of stuff. And uh, carries my pencils and a field notes little pad. Uh, and he did a fantastic job. He got his start making uh, pastoral or teaching note cover, uh, notebooks. So they're made out of leather. Uh, pastors use them for their preaching notes. Professors use them for their teaching notes. Uh, and these things are high quality and they look fantastic. Now, here's the deal. You can only get him on Twitter. It's at Sam Morris eight at S A M O R R I S numeral eight at Sam Morris eight on Twitter. Hit him up. He'll get in contact with you there and give you a quote. Uh, and you will not be disappointed in your leather work from Sam. My guest today on Uncommentary has a bio that reads like a Tom Clancy character, maybe even Jack Ryan. He's professor of, uh, of the practice of international affairs at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service, co-chair of the Global Politics and Security Concentration. He spent a decade in public service as the director uh, for Afghanistan and Pakistan on secure, National Security Council staff, U.S., of course, as an intelligence analyst for the Central Intelligence Agency and military intelligence officer in the U.S. Army. So no lightweight is Paul Miller. He's also a Christian scholar, political theorist, veteran, former White House staffer. Uh, his book is about Christian nationalism. This is a topic, as you know, if you're a regular listener, that has piqued my interest and my concern. And he writes uh, from the perspective of one who holds to the scriptures, as well as one who is concerned about the um, conflation of patriotism or love of country with Christianity in the um uh, paradigm that we now call Christian nationalism. So uh, I hope you enjoy this um, interview with Paul D. Miller. His book is The Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism? And this is a good conversation. Well, my guest today on Uncommentary, his bio reads like uh, he hangs out with Jack Ryan from the Tom Clancy novels. Did you ever have your back broken in a helicopter accident? Uh, I like to joke that Jack Ryan was actually based on my life, but I have never <laughs> repelled out of a moving helicopter onto a submarine. So that's that's fake. <laughs> hey, look, there's still time. You're still a young man, and we can make that's that right. happen. Uh, professor and of uh, the practice of international affairs at Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. That in and of itself is a great big deal. Co-chair of the Global Politics and Security Concentration, which probably means you're getting paid by George Soros or something. You're really a cultural Marxist. <laughs> uh, spent a decade in public service as director for Afghanistan and Pakistan on the National Security Council staff. That's like a whole entire episode I'd love to have you on for. An intelligence analyst for the Central Intelligence Agency, which, like right now, I feel like when this is done, you're going to like grade my intelligence on a scale of 1 to 10, and it won't even make the 1. So that kind of is intimidating a little bit. And a military intelligence officer in the U.S. Army, dude. I was I wasn't even kidding about the Jack Ryan thing. That's actually amazing. So, Paul Miller, welcome to Uncommentary. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. So, um, that's your uh, business card bio, or like the front and back of your business card bio, um, the official thing that people want to know. What makes you worth listening to? Uh, what's a couple of things maybe about your life that 
are fun or different or unique or that you just like to talk about outside of your work bio? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm married. Uh, my wife and I celebrated 18 years of marriage just a hey, couple of months back. Congratulations! Got three kids. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Uh, I got three kids, uh, the oldest of which just became a teenager a few weeks back. So that's wow. a new milestone in my life. That's uh, a big deal. And uh, I'm, I most look forward to uh, hiking when I get a chance. That's that's my happy place uh, when I'm not working and and when I have a chance to just relax and parent. Love to go out and hit the trail. Very nice. Have you done any, do you backpack or do you use like day hike? A little bit of backpacking. I want to do a lot more. Um, one of my daughters and I are actually going to go out and backpack a couple days on the trail. So oh, that'll nice. be fun. Yeah. yeah. I used to do the AT. I used to do sections of the AT when we lived in Georgia and it was a little that's, bit closer. That's what we're doing. Yeah. yeah very good. It, you'll have a blast. You act, Absolutely. So um, I've been following you on Twitter for a while. And I think I first became aware of you through uh, Carmen Labarge, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you had written something for Providence and she had uh, had you on her show maybe or she recommended you to me or something like that. I can't remember now, but but I've been following you for a while. And, and one of the things that you talk about a good a good bit is um, this issue of Christian nationalism. And so you have a book coming out in July of this year, 2022 um, on that subject. And what I've seen you saying about it resonates with me because it doesn't seem to be like off the cliff on either side of the road. You seem to be trying, first of all, you seem to have put up some guardrails to guide your thinking on it. Uh, and you have a good, good habit of staying within those. So uh, first, what compelled you to even address this subject, especially in the form of a book? Yeah, I, it didn't fit in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I grew up and came of age on, on the right, politically and theologically conservative, and I still am, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am happy to call myself conservative. People mean a lot of different things by that word these days. And, you know, it was probably about six, seven years ago when I, when I kind of started to feel like I didn't belong anymore. There was things I was seeing on the right, things, uh, trends, uh, movements, and mm-hmm. personalities that I was like, ah, I'm not sure I really back that. Yeah. I felt like I needed to get a handle on what was this other thing on the right that wasn't me and I, I, I couldn't support, I couldn't go there. And I found the label, uh, the label nationalism. So I'm a conservative, I'm not a nationalist. Mm-hmm. I still believe in all the stuff we used to talk about, right. <laughs> limited government and all that stuff. Uh, but there's a, a nationalist movement which is really quite different from conservatism, either political or theological. And so I wanted to write a book. It really took me a long time to mm-hmm. wrap my head around it doing a lot of reading on American history and political theory and theology just to kind of get my head around the relationship between Christianity and American identity. So that's why I ended up in book form. It was just mm-hmm. a big, big topic. So um, one of the things that I appreciate about what you're doing in the book is you define terms. Uh, you almost define and redefine. You're trying to be really specific about what you're talking about. And so you distinguish between liberalism and progressivism, for instance. Uh, you distinguish between conservatism and nationalism, for instance. So why don't you just give a, um, a good thumbnail definition of the main terms that you think are important for a talk about Christian nationalism? Yeah. Yeah. Th- thanks. And, and I did try to, I think that's a good habit for all of us Absolutely. in our public dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Too often we kind of sling around bumper stickers without mm-hmm. really saying what we mean. My favorite question when I'm debating somebody is, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Just kind of get them to talk a little bit more. <laughs> right. Uh, so this is a book about Christian nationalism, and I defend 
what I call classical liberalism. Mm -hmm. And right off the bat, I need to say, when I use the word liberalism, I'm not talking about the political left. I'm not yeah. talking about the Democratic Party, uh, which I think is actually increasingly illiberal in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I use the word progressive to talk about the left. And by the way, my next book is all about the progressive left. So I'll, Are you going to do the trilogy that you refer to? Are you going to do like uh, Fellowship yeah. of the Ring and uh, so, <laughs> The Two Towers right. and The Return of the King? Um, Happy to announce right here that InterVarsity has offered me the contract. So I'll awesome. be writing those next two books, and the next one's about the progressive left, and third one will be about sort of Christian democracy or something like that. Yeah, the return uh, of democracy instead of the return of the king. Go. We don't want the return of the monarchy. I like that. I like that. Um, all right, so so li classical liberalism, that's just the philosophy of the American founders. It's the mm -hmm. philosophy of, of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. We all we're all liberals in that respect. We believe in political liberties, civil rights, uh, checks and balances and open society. Mm -hmm. So I want to vindicate and defend that idea. I think that nationalism is increasingly incompatible with that kind of liberalism. Mm -hmm. So what's nationalism? Uh, to define that, I first want to say I'm a patriot. I love my country and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think we should love our countries. The key difference is somebody asks, what does it mean to be an American? Mm -hmm. I will answer by talking about the American creed a nationalist will usually answer by talking about American culture. Mm. And there's the, there's the big difference. What does it mean to be an American? I think it's mostly and, and almost exclusively about our ideals of liberty and equality for all, the Constitution, the Declaration. I'd also throw in stuff about appreciating our history and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But the, the nationalists whom I studied, and this is, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm drawing it right from their, their own books. Right. They talk about the importance of Anglo-Protestant culture. Mm. Right, that's Samuel Huntington's phrase, that we were founded by, as, and for Anglo-Protestantism, mm. a particular cultural heritage mm -hmm. dating from 18th century Britain. And, and, you know, there's historical truth there. We, it, that's indeed a good description of our culture back then. But the nationalists will go forward and say that we have to keep being that in yeah. order to remain truly American. Yeah. We must retain our specific cultural her heritage as, as an Anglo-Protestant nation. Otherwise, we're no longer truly American and we might lose our democracy. Mm. So, um, so that's progressivism and nationalism. Uh, and you already dealt with a little bit about how uh, conservatism distinguishes itself from nationalism. So it seems like nationalism kind of has it built in, uh, kind of a, a default that certain Christian belief is going to map on, on top of that, or the reverse, nationalism is going to map on top of a certain Christian belief because you already have Protestantism in the background. So when the nationalist then like, looks forward, projects forward that history, how easy is it for a particular type of Christianity to meld with that and then it becomes uh, a single identity? Yeah, so uh, American nationalism has pretty much always involved Christianity in some form or fashion, mm -hmm. like forever, like for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're just like a, when we're I say deeply, always, I mean always. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're we're a deeply religious nation. That, that mm -hmm. that's there's no problem. I love that. That's great. Uh, and so when we talk about our our national identity, our religion does come to the fore. And it's not unique to America either. That's true for a lot of countries and a lot of nationalisms. Mm -hmm. That can be real problematic because it can. Uh, it's problematic in two directions, right? It's actually pretty bad for the church, mm -hmm. right? It confuses what the gospel really is. Uh, the gospel isn't about building Christendom here right. on earth. It's not about building a Christian 
uh, a society that sort of gives symbolic recognition to Christian power. That's not what the gospel tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, um, I think oftentimes we mistake where our priorities are when we live amidst a Christian culture. Mm-hmm. We think that preserving the Christian culture is the main point when it's not. Christianity is about the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It's mm-hmm. about a forgiveness of sins. And it's, you know, insofar as we have good works to do, it's about working for justice for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Christian nationalism can be damaging in, in the other direction. I think it's bad for the state, right? Mm-hmm. Mixing these two things, uh, it's obviously a fine line. I'm not saying we need a state-sponsored secularism, but we also don't believe in the theocracy. Obviously, right. none of us do. Yeah, uh, I and, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm worried that sometimes we lose sight of that distinction and we, we get out ahead of our skis pushing too hard to make the state respect our particular beliefs when that's not what an open society does. So um, you said something here that I want to uh, back up a little bit and this idea that uh, it's the Christian heritage Um, But there seems to be the danger. Uh, I I always go back to Eisenhower's farewell address when he he addresses the military-industrial complex, which is probably the most brilliant speech of his career, certainly one of the most brilliant speeches in American history. And a part that just seemingly gets overlooked, everybody rushes to the military-industrial complex and they want to castigate anybody who's ever built a bullet. Um, And... But he talks about how the military-industrial complex can affect the nation spiritually. Now, I don't, I don't know all of what Eisenhower uh, meant by that. I mean, his, his personal religion uh, was sometimes hard to interpret. But it's always, I've always found it significant that he even thought to mention that military buildup could affect the nation's spiritual condition. So it seems to me that nationalism kind of does that. Uh, rather than starting with the gospel, rather than starting with the word of God, Christians start with the nationalistic side of things, and then they bolster that with select verses rather than tempering. So in, instead of becoming salt and light in a, in, a, in a world that we recognize as tainted by sin and dying, it becomes uh, almost a hammer. Uh, is, that, is that an overstatement on my part? No, I, I, if I hear what you're getting at, I think I agree that uh, national, Christian nationalism compromises the church's witness. Mm. Um, we Christians become propaganda for the state. We become a handmaiden, a cheerleader for state propaganda instead of an outside uh, prophetic voice, which mm. is what I think we ought to be. Mm-hmm. Um, when the culture is too comfortable, we lose that role. We stop speaking truth to power, um, and instead we start uh, uh cheering on <laughs> the powers that be. Yeah, yeah. In, in other words, we let the state shape our agenda rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. We Christians, we should be setting the agenda, which means advocating for the unborn, advocating for religious liberty, but also advocating for the poor, mm-hmm. advocating for an end to racism. Like this is a, an agenda that cuts across party lines. I, I fear that sometimes, and this is true for both the right and the left, Christians on the right and the left, that we start towing the party's talking points on gun control, on immigration, when uh, our Christian understanding should sh- should shape those talking points instead of just mm-hmm. parroting it. You're listening to Uncommentary. My guest today is Paul D. Miller. His book is The Religion of American Greatness, What's Wrong with Christian Nationalism? Coming out in July, I believe, of this year, unless somebody like pulls the, pushes the button a little early. It'll be out in July. And uh, we'll be right back after this. So what does it take to keep Uncommentary on the air? 
Uh, technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more, but nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room and their home. Uh, It's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Um, But the reality is it doesn't take a lot and uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile, and occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, If you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod, or Patreon is monthly, and these are uh, auto-drafts, so you don't have to write checks, you don't have to worry about it, you don't have to go back to the website. Uh, The $2 is gone, the $3 is gone, and really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentarypod. As well. And now back to this week's episode. Um, I want to read a quote from uh, page 24. Now, if you're listening, this is the uncorrected proof, not for sale copy. So it's possible if you pick this up, this won't actually be on page 24. And if they figure something out that they don't like, it might not be in the book at all. But it is right now. So (laughs) I'm going to read it and uh, we'll let the chips fall where they may. Uh, And I'm quoting now, loyalty and affection for our home and our tribe is instinctive, universal, and essential for human life. C.S. Lewis praised the, quote, love of home, of the place we grew up in, of all the places fairly near these and fairly like them, love of old acquaintances, of familiar sights, sounds, and smells, end quote, as well as, quote, a love for the way of life, for the local dialect, and more. Uh, And that's the end of your quote. So, um, you talk a little bit about culture, and Lewis is talking about the feeling that we experience from the and, and the love that we have for the culture that we grow up in. So, what's good about that related to nationalism, and then where can it kind of go off the rails related, or where can nationalism go off the rails when it relates to culture? So, like Lewis, I think it's good for us to have an appreciation and a gratitude for where we came from. Uh, Genesis two fifteen, God puts us in the garden, says, "Tend and keep the garden," and our nation and our community and our state is the particular plot of the garden we've been given to cultivate. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of my theology of patriotism. Mm -hmm. Love your home, take care of it, tend and keep it and, and cultivate it for the next generation. And that can mean your home culture as well. And perhaps nationalists have reminded us that it's good and important to remember our, our history, our heritage and to cultivate that. Where I draw the line is, uh, Uh, using the government to force it. (laughs) Uh, Nationalism is not just a cultural program of appreciating where we came from. It's a political program to use the government to enforce a cultural template for the whole nation Ah. when we actually all have very different cultural homes that we came from. Mm. This is a culturally pluralistic nation. Nationalism does not respect that pluralism, and it uh, it is illiberal in how it... uh, uh, overlooks or treats as second-class citizens people who don't fit into that Anglo-Protestant cultural template. Now, how now does, as I say how that, does, I want to be, yeah, be super careful as, and draw a distinction here. Because I, I, some people will hear me say that and think I'm calling nationalists uh, either white nationalists or <laughs> theocrats. And, and there is a version of national, there is white nationalism out there. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of a theocratic you know, version out there. That's not what I'm arguing against. I want to take the argument against the best possible version, which is a cultural nationalism. Mm -hmm. The nationalists themselves, they're very careful about this, and they insist, and I think it's true, that you don't have to be biologically descended from Europeans or from Britons 
Um, and you don't have to be dogmatically Protestant in order to respect Anglo-Protestant cultural norms and heritage. Mm. And that's what they focus their care on. Um, I still think it's wrong, but it's a different wrong than the blatant racism of the alt-right and so forth. So how does the the the, uh, the better version of the nationalists, let's say it that way, so I want to kind of borrow your distinction. How does this better version of the nationalists then look back across American history, knowing that we do have um, immigrants from all over the place, not just so that, so if they say we're not just talking about Europeans, well, good, because we've got, we've got right. a bunch of people from Vietnam. We got a bunch of people from China. We got a bunch of people from all over everywhere. Um, how do they look back and make a distinction? And then sometimes uh, I won't classify all nationalists, but certainly some within that group are very, uh, anti-immigration or at the very least, they want super strict immigration. It's almost like they want to celebrate how America became America without this possible celebration of what America might become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, t tell me what you're asking about here. Um, how, how do they look back knowing yeah. that we've had this influence that wasn't Protestant and I'll just say European yeah. So how do they account for it? Um, yeah. How do they account for that when they look forward and they're not always as welcoming to those yeah. while they celebrate the thing without being racist or without uh, embracing racism? Yeah. But they look in the present and they're not always for that exact same thing. So uh, one of the nationalists I engage with in my book is Rich Lowry, um, who wrote a book called The Case for Nationalism. Rich Lowry is the editor of National Review. Still, and he's got yeah. He's got this wow. thing. Uh, he's got this thing in um, in the book where he talks about um, jazz, and his point is that American culture is not uh, exclusively white, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, his argument is that it's not racist to appreciate American culture because look, we're, it's not all white. We we love jazz. We celebrate jazz as quintessentially American, and we all know that white people did invent, did not invent jazz, right? Uh, pretty confident we would not have ever invented it in a thousand years. Um, <laughs> But then Lowry says the nationalist program is all about preserving the cultural nation. Okay, so my question is, if you're, if you're living in 1900 and your agenda is preserving the cultural nation, you would have sought to suppress jazz. Yeah. And by the way, white people did. They tried. They called jazz voodoo music. They said it was, you know, from the jungle. They had all kinds of nasty things to say about jazz. Wow. So if we had a nationalist, pro a, a Bureau of American Music, that was dedicated to subsidizing American music, we would have suppressed jazz. Yeah. So, so nationalism is the enemy of the very trait of American ingenuity and cultural change and fluidity that makes us who we are. Mm. Nationalism tries to freeze frame culture at some unspecified point in the past and say, that's who we were. We got to get back to that and stay that way forever. Mm. But we Americans, we've never done that. Yeah. We, we constantly reinvent everything. And I think we need to keep it that way and keep the fluidity and the pluralism. Um, so let's skip ahead a little bit to uh, January 6th, 2021. Man, it just seems like it should be like, I don't know, 1914 or something. So weird <laughs> to think that that was just a year ago. Yeah. Um, every, I mean, everybody who's listening has seen clips and symbols and pictures and signs that were there and images from that day. How much in, in your study and in your uh, evaluation, um, was that primarily 
white nationalism? Was it primarily nationalism? Was it primarily Christian nationalism? Or was it a blending of all kinds of nationalism and then some other stuff actually thrown in on the side for flavor? It was a really good picture of a lot of strands on the political right. There was definitely Christian nationalism on display. I think there was some white nationalism. At least at least there was neo-Confederate nostalgia. There was people parading the Confederate flag in the Capitol. Um, there was a lot of conspiracy theories going on there as well, which is, uh, you know, definitionally not, not connected to, but often overlaps with white nationalism and Christian nationalism. Um, and then there was, frankly, the, if I can say it this way, the cult of personality that has often surrounded Donald Trump. Yeah. So these things were blending together. Now, my book is about Christian nationalism. So I really try to kind of isolate it and talk about it distinctly. But I think that we can recognize that in practice, these things tend to overlap uh, amongst the people who believe in them or practice them. Mm-hmm. And we saw that on display on January 6th. Um, to be very clear, you know, m- most Christian nationalists weren't there on the Capitol on January right. 6th. Right. Even <laughs> most people who were on the National Mall on January 6th did not actually go down to the Capitol and, and storm the building. Right. It's a very small number of people who went in there. But I think it's fair to say that Christian nationalism and these other currents were the permission structures, the enabling conditions that did motivate a violent assault on American democracy uh, on January 6th. So I'm going to ask you uh, a question that uh, if you want to take a second to think about it, that's fine, because I don't think you, I don't think you cover this in the book. I haven't gotten to the end. But uh, there's some pastors who listen to this podcast and there's some pastors who will hear this. And I've had some pastors express to me their concerns about how to address things like this. What, you know, how do they, if you're, if you're addressing a pastor, if a pastor comes to you and says, Paul, you know, I've got this contingent in my church that really, I feel like they're like leaning toward Christian nationalism. Everything is about politics and, and they're, they're mapping their political goals onto the gospel and they misinterpret everything I say in the light of that. Um, how can pastors really address effectively, um, Christian nationalism through their preaching? Is it as simple as just being more discipleship oriented? So in fact, I do have a part in the book that uh, it's, the, it's the last three pages of the book. Um, okay. It's called uh, A Pastoral Note. And I speak directly to pastors and about the role I think that pastors need to embrace uh, in, in the pulpit, in their office as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And this is a really complicated and, and sensitive issue. Many pastors... Uh, are hesitant to talk about politics except for the pro-life movement and except right. for religious liberty because they think uh, it'll divide the congregation or they say that scripture is not clear and therefore they're going to stay silent. But look, if you're silent, um, you are implying from the pulpit that quietism is the biblical stance towards politics mm-hmm. and essentially anything goes and that you can be a nationalist, you can be a communist, you can be anything except pro-choice and still be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unwise to imply that from the pulpit. And I actually don't think that's what the Bible says. Right? Mm-hmm. I think the Bible tells us to love our neighbors, including when we live in a democracy. That means that we should love them politically. We should work for their good. We should work for justice. All right. So what does that mean for pastors? I think that in some cases, you may need to really tackle it head on from the pulpit. Um, there's a long history in, in America <laughs> of preaching Fourth of July sermons, right. oftentimes from Second Chronicles 714. Right the people called by my name, or Psalm 33, 12, the, the blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, right. implying that we are the people whose God is the Lord, that we are called by God's name. 
And that is false. That is false teaching. So I'd love to see pastors choose the 4th of July to preach a sermon on what those verses actually mean. Yeah. That they, they don't mean America. Okay, so that's one thing pastors can do. Second and more importantly, every sermon, every Sunday, every discipleship opportunity, every Bible study, the application point isn't just to the individual Christian. Mm. I think there's this there's an individualism that really characterizes uh, American culture and also American evangelicalism, where we make everything about us. But quite often, Scripture speaks to uh, to you, plural. It speaks to the corporate entity. Mm-hmm. Um, when we read the gospel and apply it to our lives, we should apply it to our individual relationships, but we should also apply it to how we live together in community as a church, but also how we live together in the city of man. Mm-hmm. Essentially, everything in the gospel is going to have some broader applications outside of the individual. We are social and political animals, and pastors need to teach us the art of being social and political animals as a Christian. Mm. I know that's a highly abstract way of putting it, but just read every sermon and think, how does this apply to my life in a political society? Mm. And that can maybe guide your teaching as a pastor. Paul D. Miller his book is The Religion of American Greatness. So you're on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? Paul D. Miller 2. Paul D. Miller 2. Paul D. Miller 2. He's worth a follow. And you've written in a whole bunch of places. Do you publish anywhere besides Providence Mag uh, regularly? Uh, I've been publishing in The Dispatch uh, over the last year or so, which okay, is cool. a, a great and relatively new uh, outlet. Yeah, excellent. Paul, thanks so much for your time. Uh, this is a great book. I, I'm looking forward to the trilogy and to find out if uh, Frodo throws the ring into Mount Doom. <laughs> thanks, Marty. Appreciate it. As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at Uncommentary Pod. Please rate and review, and whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean, Uh, or Overcast, or CastBox, whichever one you use. Uh, If you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, And as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always... Uh, Solidale Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcasts.